Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Campbell A. Campbell. And I'm Ella Kemp. On the show this week, a three-time Oscar nominee, the Danish animated documentary Flea, a three-part drama from director Ryosuke Hamaguchi, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, and in Film Club, we're heading back to 2008 for Ari Folman's Lebanon War animation, Waltz with Bashir. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, hello there, listeners. It's great to be back. Thanks again to Leila Latif for covering while I was off being an international man of mystery and not just sitting here in my house. Ella Campbellay, welcome back to the show. Campbellay, how are you doing? It's been a while. I'm doing okay. Um, I've been remotely covering Film Festival Rotterdam from home, and um, so I'm in a bit of a daze. It's been a lot of indoor stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, otherwise, you know, keeping on, keeping on. The last time you were on, I think we were talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, my which favorite. Has, <laughs> which has, as every blockbuster record-breaking superhero movie gets, it, got, it had Oscar hype. Will the Academy give it a Best Pick nomination just because it made loads of money? Of course, that didn't happen. What did you make of the other Oscar nominations? Any hot takes? Um, lukewarm takes? I only have lukewarm takes because I actually thought the selection was pretty good for the Academy as per late like i am willing to give them some don't look ups and um belfasts so long as things like drive my car and hell even june i didn't quite expect um to be in there i think there's some exciting choices um i am a little bit uh mad that matrix didn't get more of a showing did it get visual effects actually or no nope. yeah no nothing that's, at all that's insane to me um <laughs> <laughs> but you know the oscars are going to be the oscars um yeah oh it, it does i'm really mad Go about ahead. bell i'm really mad about bell um like it should like if of all the anime films that should have broken through into the best anime category it's riffing on disney films it's got western animators in it like what more do you want <laughs> i'm talking about the academy i mean there's obviously loads of great anime films out this year but that one i was like if that's not going to do it i don't think we're going to get another um anime oscar film until miyazaki releases how do you live and who knows if that will happen 
Exactly. We'll have to see. Yeah, that is the category that that did annoy me a little bit. But I suppose on the whole, if it's films like Power of the Dog and Dune that are coming out with the most nominations, then that's a pretty good year, really. And things like we can, yeah, as you say, we can excuse a Don't Look Up and a Belfast, maybe. Ella, what do you make of the Oscars on the whole? Any any particular nominees you want to shout out? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with Campbell. I was quite pleased on the whole. Um, I feel like I, I watched the nominations kind of in real time and uh the excitement peaked very early um i think i think for everyone here in terms of the screenplay categories when uh my personal favorite the film that i will not shut up about and is still a month away from being released in the uk also i'd like to say you're both smiling as i say this because you know what i'm about to say <laughs> um, um yeah i mean when Joachim Trier's the worst person in the world got nominated for best original screenplay um jake has said free guy yes i love free guy <laughs> I I just love it when guys are just, you know, a little bit free in their life. Yeah, great. Free my guys. Oh, I just want to free my guys all the time. Um, anyway, I was very happy about that screenplay nomination. Um, and then, there's a quote from one of the nominees that stuck with me in terms of uh, why potentially the nominees are quite interesting this year. Um, Kirsten Dunst was finally nominated for an Oscar wild that she'd never been nominated before and um yeah she was nominated for her role in the power of the dog and she was interviewed just afterwards i think like just about her favorites which films she particularly liked which ones she'd watched (laughs) and i love she just said really matter of fact she's like i've watched all of them because i'm a member of the academy and i was like yes you are yes you have (laughs) and you know if people are watching the films how nice is that thank you she takes it seriously as she should, yeah. I just love that that was like considered a funny quote, as if it's not what everyone should be doing, like the bare minimum. <laughs> Who watches all the movies? I suppose we have her to thank for Summer of Soul making it into documentary. Oh, no, I'm kidding. That was so popular, it was going to happen anyway. But like, mm-hmm. that was a cool choice as well. Um, I was going to say, speaking of Kirsten Dunst, the His and Hers actors' nominations for her and uh, Plemons is really lovely. So lovely. And Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem. Oh. oh not in the yeah. same film like mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons but yeah they also both got nominated um it's just nice isn't it isn't, isn't love nice don't you love the, the, love the, the red carpet content writes oh, itself it's gonna be so good. It? we're wait. hitting the valentine's day special early on truth and movies <laughs> <laughs> well the oscars very much uh Related to both films, both new releases are going to be talking about this week because we have one film that was nominated for three and one film which is the new film from the director of Drive My Car. He's that prolific. He's got another film out already. But we should kick off with our first new release of the week. Yes, there is a new Red Hot Chili Peppers album coming out, but we're not talking about that flea. We're talking about the Danish animated documentary Flea. Let's have a bit of synopsis for Flea. Flea tells the story of Amin Nawabi as he grapples with a painful secret he has kept hidden for 20 years, one that threatens to derail the life he has built for himself and his soon-to-be husband. Recounted mostly through animation to director Jonas Poher Rasmussen, he tells for the first time the story of his extraordinary journey as a child refugee from Afghanistan. So, Ella, this film has had quite a lot of hype behind it since its festival premiere just over a year ago, Sundance, right? Did you see it then? I did, yeah. I saw it. Um, so last year was the first virtu- fully virtual edition of the Sundance Film Festival. And I mean, with Sundance, there's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say high profile, like mi- mid profile um, films, kind of, you know, lots of US titles with actors that 
people just feel very comfortable going back to um so i suppose your uh your schedule can fill itself up quite effortlessly but flea was definitely one that um didn't really have any like any big names in that sense which kind of tends to annoyingly dominate at sometimes quite a bit but it was very much word of mouth well on like on twitter um everyone was talking about it everyone was very very moved by it that was definitely the kind of um dominating like reaction to it um and i think people just weren't expecting it and uh both kind of in terms of the format of it you know this animated documentary the kind of subject matter it was dealing with it's obviously one man's story and i think you know it's his personal story and is so tragic and hopeful and shocking and emotional all at the same time that it's the kind of thing that uh quite a few filmmakers in the last few years have been making topical and tear-jerking fiction about and kind of to have a film that is true that is quite bold like technically and visually i think that um and that nobody has heard about yet kind of um having such an impact immediately which i think is always a risk at film festivals and crucially uh having carried through you know 14 months late well i can't count how many months later um it's quite something and you know Mm -hmm. we clearly did go because i think what can happen a lot with film festival premieres is obviously everyone can be very over the top like a, a, a select group of critics can be very very enthusiastic about um certain things and then by the time it reaches the public nobody cares and then mm-hmm. with hindsight you're a bit like oh we were all a bit silly but we weren't silly about this one everyone was right <laughs> about flea so that's that nice. is the thing that is the thing i like about sundance you're at high altitude so you're not getting your full you know, recommended dose of oxygen and the venues are f- far away from each other so you're doing a lot of walking so a lot of lightheadedness luckily virtually we can no trust excuses. people a bit more you know excuses so this worked for you today Ella. yeah it really did work and i think um i was really impressed at the time I, th- I think when i first watched it uh i i hadn't seen anything like it in a really long time um just an animated documentary which is i mean which is mostly my fault because i don't i don't watch tons of documentary i don't watch tons of animation so you know <laughs> i'm probably the target audience in terms of like wow this is unheard of um and obviously rewatching um another film that we're talking about today what's with bashir i mean we'll come on to it but there are lots of like very surface level similarities between the two and then you know it made me feel a bit silly to think oh like this film is still very good even if it's not like the only one of its kind ever made if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but um no i remember i remember thinking when i first watched it i was like i'm i'm so pleased that like there is a medium vaguely well considered entertainment which has taught me about this story like i said this in my review for little by liza i think this is the kind of film that like should be shown in schools and you should take kids to see on school trips and stuff because um like it's not um it's very complex but it it makes so much of an effort to um appeal to lots of different audiences and is very accessible without um like being superficial or without kind of trivializing anyone or anything in it um yeah it really worked for me Campbell, you are somebody with much more of a firmer foot in the animation Help side of me. things. <laughs> and this the Flea had almost like the perfect run. So now it's got these three Oscar nominations, the first time a film's ever been nominated for foreign language, documentary and animated feature. And halfway through that journey from Sundance to now, it, it premiered at 
know, animation industry festivals like Annecy and went down well there as well. I mean, what did you make of this as a piece of animation and what's it doing in animation that, you know, even people who watch animation might find different here? Um, I suppose, like, animated docudrama isn't entirely like, common, even though um, there are a few, like, standout ones, like Tower from 2016 was, like, quite a recent one. Um, but again, it's something that I'm also not really uh, well-versed in. Um, what? I, yeah, like, um, when it comes to documentary, I know documentary, I know animation, but I don't often uh, watch things at the intersection of the two. So Flea was interesting to me in that respect. And especially in the moments where it's more expressive, with its animation in terms of reenactment, like the opening, I think, is kind of the best bit of the film for me, uh, in which it has that sort of hollowed out, um, I'd say like that rough hollowed out texture that all the line, the pencil lines are really shaky and you can see the texture of the paper and it's very visceral in a way that the rest of the film just kind of isn't to me. And But I think that expressive depth in those moments, because it comes back to that style a few times throughout the run, is really astonishing to me. And I thought that um, really kind of spoke to why the filmmakers would um, do, make this in this medium rather than just the functionality of being able to disguise um, the subject's identity. But then that's the rest of it to me. The um, When I watched it at Annecy, I was like, oh, this is fine. Um, and I thought this, I thought the story was very touching. Um, but I think I found it otherwise fairly simplistic, but I guess I would when I'm watching it amongst a lot of other animated pieces, like, and, and, and like big ones as well. So I was watching like the deer King the next day, Mm -hmm. which is like this, uh, huge, like animated fantasy film with lots of detailed character animation, which kind of makes the animation in this one stand out to me as very stiff. Um, Mm -hmm. because, um, it's all it's all animated on like um god i don't even know the number at the moment but probably like threes or fours rather than ones or twos as you'd be used to like um two being like the frame is held each drawing is held for um like two frames rather than one so it's slightly slower. that's kind of like the standard for anime ones is like what you'd see in like a disney film um this was a bit slower and that stiffness i don't it didn't feel very intentional to me rather than again like functional like i Mm -hmm. i felt like i was just watching um lips flapping a lot of the time and that did start to bug me because i was like you have this amazing opening which has this very um powerful evocation of how this guy feels about his country like it's these hollowed out things it's like something that he doesn't really like he, it's like he remembers like the pain of it less more than the details and i thought that was very a very striking way to do reenactment but then it sort of just like throws that out the window and goes for very basic stuff with like uh usual archive footage um and this these sort of very slow talking heads i i feel like i'm um complaining <laughs> disproportionately because i thought the film I know, was all right hatefully <laughs> I, it, it, I despise no you <laughs> You do raise a good point, though. This isn't necessarily the most expressive, boundary-pushing animation that you will see. Mm-mm. And it is probably it is much more lower budget and animated by a smaller team than this many is, animations. Uh, this is also what I wanted to say. Like, uh, I guess, like, if it, I, I, I feel bad for complaining about it because, like, if it was rotoscoped or something, that would probably add, like, five years of development time to it and they don't have the money for that. Absolutely. It's a very intensive process, isn't it? But, but then I suppose then they are just... 
adopting the fundamentals of what animation can bring to this story and uh, mm. the thing as you said Campbell I've maintaining anonymity also presenting a human face without having to present a literal human face in reenactments mm. um so I suppose Ella then like what, what does the animated aspect bring to it for you when it really did work for you then I think I mean going back to Sundance again it's it's a festival where you have a lot of documentaries with talking heads um and I realized that uh, covering it virtually this year as well it's ha- watching so many films in succession that have the same format and they're just the same aesthetically um i get really impatient and i find it really irritating and i, th- I think that reflects more on me just being like you know a baby when it comes to watching films who needs like bright colors and needs to be entertaining and stuff uh but i do <laughs> i do think that was part of what made flea so effective um for me last year because it was just it was it was very different in terms if if looking at the film as a documentary um and you know a, like a story about this quite harrowing material telling someone's individual story which i would personally only usually see on like you know news headlines and all kind of like loads of people's stories squeezed into about a five minute report or something um I've found it really effective here having, you know, like it's not it's not that long a film, but having like an hour and a half just to this one person story. And the animation just made it feel more I don't know, I don't want to say personal because it's not like I didn't feel like, oh wow, this film sees me because like, no. Um but it just it just made it feel like um like the director for me was thinking like, okay, how can I how can I make I mean, stories stand out within the landscape of lots of stories like this that I'm being that are being told, or or that it might be compared to, um, as opposed to it standing out as an animated film. If that makes sense. Um, I don't. I was going to say. I don't. I, to be clear, I don't dislike this film. No, no, I, I know, I know. But it's like um, <laughs> more for the viewer, the listeners' benefit. But there. But um, I think what you're saying is really right. That there's something more personal about it. Like, I think inherently just from being animated because you have to draw this person's face. And with that, you are, with us as a filmmaker, you're definitely considering, I think, on more like, you're, you're being more studious of their expressions and like how they appear to you. Even if it's just like a facsimile of this person, um, I think there is a kind of intimacy in drawing their face more than just capturing it on a camera not that one is necessarily worse than the other it's a very different kind of um sort of relationship there but um, there's a lot of painstaking effort as well like the difference between kind of putting like a camera in front of someone and saying okay now you tell your story for half an hour and then i'll splice in like a couple of images from your childhood as opposed which is also it can be very good depending on the person's story but then in that instance you're relying fully on your subject's narration to uh kind of create the narrative entertain the audience get your point across as a filmmaker whereas i think when you're going to the f again i don't know about animation but you know when when you're literally like drawing or painting or animating this whole world of rat like based off the kind of stories that you're being told it feels like i'd love it if someone did that about my life <laughs> you know there's like yeah a closer understanding that i think it brings that i like a lot um yeah. It is something about the magic of animation, how some it can make things much more, um, I don't say, universal is probably the term, but also specific. 
there's there's sequences in this where I mean when he's growing up is uh, idolizing and having his first crush on uh, Jean Claude Van Damme oh, in so the movie Blood, Bloodsport. Yeah. And there's something quite amazing about how we're looking at Jean Claude Van Damme, but we're not looking at Jean Claude Van Damme. We're looking at the idealized version of him that's been drawn as if it is in the you know in the imagination, the romantic imagination of this young boy who's um, figuring out his sexual identity. And that's something that's quite powerful for a story like this and quite which feels quite radical about documentary because if it was reenactment you'd have to go through casting young kids if it was pure documentary you'd have that situation where it would be fully archive or fully talking heads and so this is using animation which many people will say that they feel more emotionally moved mm. by bambi than they do by schindler's list or something you know there are there are different you have different emotional responses to animation than you do to live action so they're doing something quite interesting here. It's quite an interesting t- case for pe- people to see how cold their hearts are, maybe. But let's put some scores on this. Um, this is in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect, and any final comments, Ella? Uh, I would say three for anticipation. I didn't really know what to expect. There was a lot of buzz. Um, four for enjoyment and four in retrospect. I was really impressed at the time. I think it got even better when like on a rewatch um and i still think it's really great now holds up good soundtrack as well really good soundtracks i'm loving drops yeah fantastic <laughs> so the second time that the daft punk song veridis quo has been <laughs> had an animated sequence set to it i don't know uh, about it as a song associated with like a gay awakening but uh, <laughs> it's still good <laughs> what scores would you give this camberley uh i We'll go four for anticipation because, again, I was watching it fairly later in the year and I'd heard great things about it and I was very excited because I love documentaries, I love animation. It's like a perfect crossover for me. Um, when it came to watching it, I actually uh, I'm about a three. Um, I like it's fine because I feel I feel this is a more of a me problem, but the animation struck me as like I know I just said like there's that intimacy and everything, but I think the animation itself rather than the drawings, which were good, um, were a little, was a little bit stiff and it was just kind of missing something for me. And I don't think it quite elevated this very touching story in the way that it could have, as it proved it could have in the opening. And in retrospect, I think I'm kind of staying at about that level. I've seen like better, but I haven't seen worse. I thought it was solid and there are bits of it I really like. Mm-hmm. I'd give this four three four. I think this is something that's really growing in retrospect for me, and it's one that I'm I love reading about. I love thinking about, particularly thinking about it in relation to our film club pick later. What's with Bashir? Mm. We'll talk about that and probably this film more later on. But there you have it, listeners. That is Flea up for three Oscars. Let us know if you watch it this weekend. If you think it should win in any of those categories, Truth and Movies at tclondon.com or at Lies on Twitter. Up next, we have the new film from Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hamaguchi's second film in a matter of months is a triptych involving an unexpected love triangle, a failed seduction trap, and an encounter that results from a misunderstanding. Mako is startled when she realises that the man who her best friend starts to have feelings for is her ex. Sasaki plots to trick his college professor out of revenge, using his class friend with benefits now, while Natsuko encounters a woman who seems to be someone from her past, leading the two to confess the feelings they have harboured in their hearts. Gosh, that's a lot of plots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Camberley, this is coming out maybe, what, four months, three months after Drive My Car, which is experiencing something of a boost after a nomination nominations at the Oscars. Um, how does this sit alongside it? Of course, Drive My Car, very long. This is three films in half the time, almost. <laughs> it's, it's like two-thirds of the time. Drive My Car is three hours, <laughs> this is two. Um, I saw this before drive my car um because i saw it at last year's uh berlin film festival and i really liked it then um and i like it even more after seeing drive my car um which uh is a film i find ex- incredible in what um little, fellow little white lies critic mark ash describes very accurately as um minimalist maximalism which i think is a really cool way to describe hamaguchi's work um, in that he is studying a lot of really big feelings and almost impossible coincidences and disappearances with a very restrained formal minimalism, which I think works really well for him. And seeing that across the, like, deployed so well across these two films from the same year is just kind of astonishing to me. And I, like, like Drive My Car, I enjoyed, like, the, it's very slow unspooling of these people's feelings across these sort of one-on-one conversations. Um, but it's also very fun. I think very slightly funny as well. Um, the second story in particular is almost like a farce, like as done by Ozu um, <laughs> on, on maybe one of his more somber days, which is it's just like a really strange <laughs> way to put it, I think. But that's kind of what the vibe I was getting. But um, definitely like, a, I think a more digestible film than Drive My Car. Like uh, you would, I would, probably sooner take a relative to see with a fortune and fantasy than i would see to see drive my car but that's actually not true because i took my brother to see drive my car like last week uh <laughs> yeah no my my <laughs> my description's falling apart here um but i think there's a lot of connections in how they um discuss um not just um a sort of the loss of a person um but also especially in the first and second first and third stories but also in how those people and the people left behind are incredibly complex and very, and their imperfections are 
at the forefront of how we see them. Like we see the worst of everybody before we see the good stuff. This is very interesting after he turned a short story into a three hour long film that he's now made three very nice kind of short stories, but they're still packed with character and uh, these details. Is it consistent across the three? The thing with the anthology movie is sometimes there's one that's less than the other or one that's the clear standout. How does that play out for you, Kimberly? They're all like dead on 40 minutes. And that reminds me of something that... um... Matt, Matt Turner said to me, uh, we were just standing on a train platform and we started talking about Hamaguchi and then he was just like, yeah, you know, he was he drive, out, drive my car is three hours long because apparently he just decided that it should be three hours long. And he's like, right, the movie's going to end here because that's how long it's going to be. And you kind of get that vibe from that sort of precision from Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Like every story is so like kind of just regimented there, but they're also so perfectly pe- like paced. Like they kind of, even as these conversations are happening over maybe the three shots over 10 minutes, they feel like they're moving at a pretty brisk pace because it's so involving. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, he's, he's, so, he's remarkable with the pacing. And so many twists and turns within any story. Yeah. yeah. Some, would call, so, some would call it soapy or soap opera, but I suppose that's we, we, that doesn't have to be a negative. Ella, no. what did you make of Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy? <laughs> I like that transition. Soapy doesn't have to be a negative. Ella, tell us what. melodrama expert ella kim (laughs) um i enjoyed this yeah i'm 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 again i'm not a hamaguchi expert whatsoever uh i saw drive my car first um at london film festival a few months ago and um and and yeah and I, i i kept seeing everyone well not everyone some people saying that they preferred uh this one to drive my car which uh you know when someone says to you that you'll like something and you don't watch it and like put it off to the last minute because you know you'll get around to it and you know you will like it. So you don't rush it and you're just like, well, okay, I'm sure you're correct and then I'll get to it. Um, that's what I did with this film. So I watched it very, very recently. Um, and yeah, and I've, I've, I find it really effective. I think um, it's it's a bit of me in terms of stories. You know, I like stories where people just talk about their feelings. That's great. Um, I like the anthology format. Um I found the pacing really interesting. I, again, I think this is a me problem. Um, but the first story flew by for me. Like, I, I, knew, I knew it was split in three parts, but the first one really flew by. And the second one, I was like, is this actually two hours? And like, have I got a different runtime? Um, like, I didn't, I didn't think it was bad, but I just, I don't know. I just, it just felt like it went on for much longer for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which partly does uh, come from that kind of, minimalism like you really have to Hamaguchi is really saying to you yeah right you're here now you're gonna you're gonna wait I'm gonna I'm gonna do exactly how many shots I want and just like tough you know Roll with it, your board, deal tough, with it. just wait yeah and <laughs> I, I was like oh, okay you... fair Sorry, I also think that is just sometimes a, a, a something that an anthology film has to get over because when you're about 40 minutes into any feature-length film that's when you're being lulled into the sense where time doesn't exist mm. and who, you can very easily after 40 minutes sit down for another hour or for two hours or however, how long you need to but then when it stops and starts again it's quite you know it's quite rare for us to have to do that unless i suppose binging tv series i don't know if that's really the, the right uh, comparison to draw but ella was there a particular one of the three stories that struck you um i think probably the third one just because i think for me, I, I found the first one very effective because I think there was that... I found it the most uh, shocking 
I mean, you know, I, 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 it feels weird to say about this film. I she was like terrible. That, I was like, that woman what? is terrible. Yeah, but it was so funny. Um, and, you know, there's this kind of like quick like hallucination bit where I was like, whoa, what's she going to say? And I thought, oh, this is all very um, like this. This could be potentially soapy if it's what I think it is. And then it pulls it back. The second one I found most traditional, I suppose, in terms of you know the stuff they're talking about is wild but most of it is just one conversation and i think that's maybe why i was a bit yeah it took me a minute but the third one um i don't know there's just like you know it's just those two characters but all of the ping-ponging in places and like this is the truth and then this is not the truth and like i feel this and then they kind of toy around with like what they actually mean and who these people are and i think it's much more it it kept me guessing for much longer because i think it kept changing so much um, like with, while it's still being quite calm and restrained, mm-hmm. seemingly. I was I was just gonna say like continuing on from that. I think that what Hamaguchi is really great at in filming conversations is showing people just slowly revealing themselves to each other, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I like the second one so much. In that it brought this act that the character is putting on in trying to honey trap a professor into uh, admitting something illicit. Uh, in that in performing the act she sort of becomes more honestly into it and it becomes more and more real as the thing goes on and then it becomes this really strangely intimate moment between people who are practically strangers and I think it does it in such like a kind of genuinely beautiful way especially when we had the previous short which is about someone else who's kind of feeling alone in a crowd and then the third one which bookends it again with that same sort of feeling of isolation and I think it was um, a genuinely... a very hopeful little like interlude in that is someone finding a brief moment of kinship with somebody um, before completely ruining everything with one of the most devastating zooms <laughs> I've seen in a really long time. I think um, Hamaguchi breaks his formalism is like very kind of minimal like formalism in like a very interesting way in the first one with the hallucination bit where he has this sort of crash zoom into someone's face which is startling after it's the camera's been so still for like so good. 40 minutes it's amazing it's an amazing moment and then i love how he kind of re- slowly repeats the same trick at the end of the second short to just completely hilarious and devastating effects like some of this stuff is just dark comedy because it's so mean and but really really funny like oh my god people remember to bcc or <laughs> whatever just double check <laughs> double check your email addresses <laughs> It's, um, I remember when we talked about Drive My Car only a few months ago, um, it feels like his cinema just contains the whole world and the mm. mysteries of human relationships and communication, the emotional textures of loneliness and melancholy, wanting to reach out and connect with somebody, maybe then getting it wrong. And then these happy accidents or unhappy accidents that can happen. And that's, it's amazing having seen this on some of the biggest canvases possible with films like Happy Hour and Drive My Car to then see them in miniature here, but still so textured. And when I say soap opera, I just mean because soap opera, what is soap opera? But the, um, you know, long form serialized television dramas that are about life and relationships and communication and often people in a room talking. And it feels that um, I think that this set of three films is almost you know, a, a, a great use of that dramatic form. Let's put some scores on Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy and any final comments, particularly better or worse than Drive My Car. Campbell, I want to know what your brother made Drive My Car and whether you're taking to see this as well. But I'll come to you first. What are your scores? Um, 
I'm going to say Anticipation 4. Um, this is the part where I admit that these are the two Hamaguchi films that I've seen. I've not made time for Happy Hour. I've not been able to see Osaka 1 and 2 yet, which is greatly to my annoyance. I missed that amazing film program uh, that was basically all of his films like last November. But I was excited to see this one and enjoyment was a five because I think it's honestly just like phenomenal. I cannot believe he put out two masterpieces in one year. <laughs> it's it's so good. And that third story is such uh, a great um, sort of encapsulation of why the film like ended up meaning so much to me in terms of it's like people these are kind of lonely people finding each other and explaining themselves i don't know it just it really resonated and there's a line at the end of the third one that reminded me i hate to say this but it did remind me of ozu in the uh, <laughs> in the sort of like uh, i i'm only disappointed with my life kind of energy from this stay-at-home wife and i was like that's that seems very him to me um and in retrospect five only got better on the second watch for me and I am going to be boring and say that I like this and drive my car equally. I don't know how my brother will feel about it, but he really liked to drive my car and he thought it was great. And he's just like, I never thought I'd sit through something that long. And I was just like, yes, yes. <laughs> and we're going to go see this again on Saturday. Oh, perfect. I should say, I think they're still on BFI player, Happy Hour and Osaka 1 and 2. They both went uh, up last year. Um, so I've got a spare five hours. <laughs> yeah, worth, worth checking out if that is still on, on BFI player. Ella, what scores would you give this? Uh, I think Anticipation was a three. Uh, I liked Drive My Car. I'm very happy for everyone else. I didn't love it as much as everyone else. Again, this is a me problem. I have a short attention span. Uh, uh, enjoyment, probably four. Um, I, I kind of lulled in the middle, but yeah, the third story really brought it back up for me. Uh, and in retrospect, four as well. I think it's very, very impressive. Very emotional, very solid. Um, I, I mean, I like my films to be slightly more maximalist, like aesthetically. Again, a me problem. If it was that, it would be five. <laughs> this is me telling Hamaguchi to make things more interesting visually for me. More crash dance, dance, dance sequence next time. <laughs> Please, oh, unreal. Oh, and I like this more than Drive My Car. Sorry. Yeah. Should, can we do rankings for the short stories? <laughs> Which ones we like? With the ordering. You go first, then, Cam. Three, two, one. Three, Ella. one, two. Um, I would go two, three, one. Ooh. So yeah, we go. We, we split three ways there. <laughs> My God. Yeah, that one quiet. Yeah, Diversity of opinion here. But that that just shows the the beauty of this film, I suppose. Yeah, the scores I'd give this. I, I I always hesitate to give fives on a first viewing. That's that's my that's my deal. But uh, this would be five, four, four. Um, it's been such a joy to go on this journey with with Hamaguchi and see him all the way back from Happy Hour being sort of a festival film and then a can film with Asako 1 and 2 and then now he's an Oscar contender where will he go next that'd be really fun to see uh, but listeners that is Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy let us know what you make of that at the usual channels to finish with we have Film Club and Waltz with Bashir Inspired by actual events, Waltz with Bashir chronicles one man's descent into his own half-forgotten past. Filmmaker Ari Folman, an Israeli veteran of the First Lebanon War, encounters an old friend suffering from nightmares of the conflict. Ari begins to wonder why his own memories are full of gaps. In an effort to uncover the truth, he reconnects with old friends and dares to confront the horrors of war. Ella, so 
Did you? Was it the first watch for you, or had you seen this film before? So I had seen this film before uh, a really long time ago, uh, and I checked exactly how long ago it was. Um, this film came out in two thousand eight, uh, and I saw it in two thousand eight because I saw it on a school trip to the cinema. Uh. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I've I'd kind of seen, you know, this title pop up over the years as other people have been discussing it in a, a contemporary cinema parallel context, whatever. No, I saw this like as a 12 year old um, in a French cinema. I went to school in France um, and um, yeah, they took us to see. It. I mean, my memory is is awful. So, you know, anything I <laughs> anything I've seen more than four years ago. Mm. even three i have no memory of it whatsoever so you know i guess pretty much a first watch um when i rewatched so, so, it so was the act of rewatching this almost like what ari Folman goes through in the film in a way of like i have where why are these gaps in my I mean, memory yeah. of seeing this film <laughs> yeah i mean well because yeah i, I suppose like kind of seeing the posters I, I, I thought oh yeah like I, I i suppose i vaguely understand why they must have taken to, us to see this film yeah. and then re-watching it at home you know i was watching on a laptop um i'm 25 now like i can you know i'm a big strong girl i can deal with things i was watching it and i was like why did they take us to see this yeah. and this is me who is saying they should teach flea in schools this i'm i am surprised that mm-hmm. that they took us to see this um you know i do think fair play like you know quite 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 ballsy of like this little um <laughs> provincial french town uh to take us to see this but um it's very dark it's very mm-hmm, very dark mm-hmm. um and i think it's very dark for anyone watching at any age you know deliberately but extremely effectively it's very um emotional but in a different way to flee for sure like m- much more like I was thinking about the the score for this, <laughs> like it feels like Christopher Nolan, like at his darkest. I was like, I can't believe that this is like going as hard as it is. Um, I mean, you know, I understand it makes sense in terms of the story, but I think it's so daring. Um, like all the kind of punches. Max Richter was doing things. <laughs> yeah, I think th- this was the first time I was aware of Max Richter's work. Ella, I was wondering when you said that you saw when you were at school just how old you'd make me feel. I'm so and yes, sorry. Made me feel very old. Th- th- this this film was, I suppose, the first year I was working semi-professionally oh in God. film, and I remember it well because it really did have quite an impact mm. in art cinema in documentary and animation and then there was that surprise with the fact that unlike flea it only got one oscar nomination Mad. and it was it was in um foreign language yeah. so it wasn't as a documentary or as animation yeah. um because i think it didn't make it into the animated category and it wasn't submitted as a or it didn't qualify as a documentary they changed Why? the eligibility that year for a, the diff- they changed the release window i think so uh. it was sort of a technicality but i love quizzes I love putting guests on the spot. So I want to take you all the way back to the 81st Academy Awards in early 20, 2009. Uh, three films were nominated for Best Animated Feature and they weren't Waltz with Bashir. And would you like to, either of you to have a guess for what was nominated that year? So we have um, we have three animated films, all 3D CG, one Pixar, one Disney and one DreamWorks. What year was it? So this would have been 2009 looking back at 2008. Is one of them Shrek 2? No. Oh. Would it be Wally? Wally won that year. Mm. Wally is good. And like there's Wally. there's one film that started a franchise, the first film of a franchise, which is the DreamWorks film. B movie. And 
(laughs) (laughs) And then one film, which I think is a sort of forgotten 3D CG Walt Disney film about... uh, It's an anthropomorphic um, uh, animal tale of an animal that thinks it's a superhero. Oh, Bolt. Yeah. And then the other one was, was... the other one was another anthropomorphic animal tale. Shark another tale. Sort of genre movie, action-based. They Not made Shark Tale. You sequels sure? after this. Shark Tale 2. Shark Tale. It is Kung Fu Panda. Oh, Christ. So those three films were deemed better animated films than um, What's With Bashir. So but Campbell, as the animation head in the room, we talked about Flea as being very lo-fi, sort of limited in terms of the fluidity of the animation. This film is so 2008 because it's so Flash-based. Yes. <laughs> what did you make of that? It was kind of weird for me going from watching a lot of hand-drawn animation and recent animation to, to this. Yeah, um, I think for me, the uh, art direction was doing a lot of heavy lifting here. Um, I, di- I didn't love the a very kind of weird, smooth digital look to how everyone moved. That stiffness is really strange, strange in a different way to how Flea, um, I found sort of... I, I guess I found Flea very minimal, whereas for this I just found very jarring and unnatural. Um, but at the same time, I, the uh, again, the art director, I think his, his name is David Polonsky, who's like, mm-hmm. I, had, I looked him up afterwards and I was like, oh... He is a graphic novelist, <laughs> and uh, after this, because like the style was very graphic with those like very heavy shadows and the like very um, contrasty like kind of often two tone color palettes, which I really liked a lot of the time. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, sort of digital flash look of it, I didn't love. Like animators have done really great things using flash, but. Um, mm-hmm. But th- this is one where they, they the, the, the Flash, of course, is a sort of a very versatile way of making animation, and a lot of um, great expressive animation has been made within it. But this is for this, they were using it in a way of almost just cut out puppetry. They'd, mm. Each figure would be cut out into multiple limbs, and then they would be moved. And it, it, it looks, and you can see like the arms fluid. moving up and down like Lego men. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's so odd, especially when it's these this staging of these conversations. I was just like, what's happening here? There were some bits where I liked the framing of it, where it kind of looks like animated Errol Morris, <laughs> just like the sort of person looking beyond the camera. And I was like, oh, it's a funny way to frame it. Um, but the the art direction is so strong, though I agree mm. that, that it comes out of a very sort of European skewing kind of graphic world. Um, I was thinking of Persepolis graphic novels. Yeah, yeah, very very similar to Persepolis as well. Yeah, but um, how do you think this work is like an animated documentary, kind of contrasting with 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 Flea? It's interesting how into the abstract it gets. I think, especially in the portrayal of these people's dreams and like a full on diversion into like this insane like music video at one point. Um, I I find those digressions like really fascinating. And again, I think even though I find the movements themselves very limiting on how it tells these things, I think that it's, um, I think that it's using the sort of lack of limitations on animation to portray the kind of innermost thoughts of these people as they try and figure out like how they feel about this horrible thing in their past. I think that is um, a very smart way to use the medium. Um, so as it's, it's, it's like a documentary, it is like definitely going into ground that I think uh, is very unique, especially with um, 
yeah, again, those dream sequences. There was something that I was... Um, it's, yeah, like it was like the guy says early on, like, why can't f- film be therapeutic? And in staging um, these reenactments, like exactly as these people imagined them, I think there's something very um, powerful in that. Um, yeah, because like, like Flea, this is using animation to reanimate these memories which are half formed, half forgotten, or just simply too too brutal to be even considered in live action in some ways. But I find it quite interesting rewatching what's with the year. I'd forgotten just how much it's trying to be an apocalypse now for that uh, 1982 Lebanon conflict. Right. With the with the I mean, literally so in cases where they they have the homage to the um to the taking the beach just to be surfing and mm. sitting around you know with uh, a barbecue and in your pants. Uh, while war is waging around you it really does try and have that psychedelic complex approach to what the conflict is um which really sets us apart from something like flea which is purely on a level of wanting to tell lock into an emotional undercurrent of the story ella what what did you make of all that? And also, not to colour you as the person who likes the music and the dance sequences. There's a lot, I do. lot of that in that this. way. It's fine. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I I did very much like the music and the dance sequences. Um, the, the dance element in particular, um, I mean, you know, because of the film's uh, title, but it made me think of another relatively recent Israeli film uh, called Foxtrot, which uh, is live action... Which year was it? Was it 2018, 2019? It's not that old. Um, and I, it also finds these very interesting parallels about the kind of movement and catharsis and like strange, soothing element of dance in relation to like, you know, how how a lot of people like. I'm gonna be saying like some awful like generalizations but you know it just made like very surprising unexpected connections between like dance and the way that like certain soldiers who had to fight and had to be very stationary how they moved um and I found that very very thoughtful and um interesting not in a tear-jerking way but in a in a in a way that I could only imagine being like done in cinema and like in um somewhat fictional storytelling because you know yes this is a documentary but you can like people can say what they want in terms of their memories and how they interpret and remember things um in ways that i wouldn't imagine you would let people say like if you're just doing like a news report on what happened um you know during these like absolutely horrific um times for everyone who lived through it um so i found it very effective and one thing uh related to flea that i really liked uh was like this one these like these individual little needle drops um where flea has this lovely sequence set to take on me um where i mean as a kid is kind of like he's cycling around right and he's just having a lovely time with this you know with this banger and then in this one in what's with bashir there's a moment set to enola gay um Mm. which is just lovely and i was like obviously you know nobody accounted for this in any way and these are completely individual films but you know just me Again, short attention span. Watching them not too far apart, I was like, "Oh, it's nice, good song, isn't it?" Um, you just love the you love the eighties bangers. I just love eighties bangers, but no, I think the emotional impact on this one is very different. I think it's it. I think this one hit me harder, and like it's much deeper because I think 
because because it's the subject and the person himself who went through the war because he's the one doing the interviews and he's like trying to fill in his own memories through lots of other people talking i think the scope is inevitably much bigger um and more confu- confusing in a way that it must be for him like it's not confusing to watch um but confusing and quite overwhelming in that way whereas i think flea is particularly nice because like it is like it's restrained because it focuses in on a mean story and he is like he's the one remembering what happened and he is the one kind of steering um mm-hmm. the whole thing through the eyes of the director if that makes sense um so they are very different but yeah, i think there's there's so much to be learned by what the you know close reading these two films side by side simply because on on, on the one level what's with Bashir is politically much more complex because you are being asked to reckon with you know a, a genre which i only learned about by when i looked at the wikipedia page for this which is called shooting then crying which is wow. something which is a, a particular thing in israel of former conscripts you know who went would revisit their experiences from a position of horror uh, whereas with flea it's a purely empathetic story of the refugee crisis the shooting and crying thing reminds me a little bit of our head's knee which is a film coming out this year um into like the director sort of confronting um the sort of horrors of you know something um mm-hmm. oh in connection to flea though there's like that moment where it breaks animation for archive but very deliberately right at the end rather than um sort of passing it out as context which i thought was really interesting and you know horrible um at the end of this where it sort of just shows this archive reel of the actual scene that it's depicting through animation and it's just I had to go and lie down for a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely, listeners. If you go back and rewatch Watch with Bashir, let us know what you make of it. Particularly those threads that go between it and Flea. The reason why we're drawing these is because the people who behind Flea have cited it as a, 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 a source of inspiration. Let us know the usual channels truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or on Twitter at LWLies. Also, if you stuck with Ari Folman through his weird and wayward career, he made The Congress after this, which wasn't a documentary, but was looking forward to a time where actors could be turned into data on a hard drive and they could be wheeled out for digital performances in films, which came true. Oh boy. <laughs> and then th- just this last year, he made a sort of bio biopic type film about Anne Frank. So what, what, what strange, strange career after something that was so at the time um, under the spotlight. I think the Anne Frank thing has the same art director as Watson Bashir. They worked on that together, I think. Uh, David right. Polanski and uh, Ari Foreman. Ah, beautiful. Well, at least we'll know the art direction will be will be something. But yes, listeners, next week we're talking about Channing Tatum. He has a new film out called Dog. Uh, film club we're going back to magic mike double xl we also have a dispatch from the berlin film festival hannah strong has been out there for us go on elderlies.com for her, her first reaction reviews and we'll get a dispatch from her on the show next week Campbellay, ella thank you so much for joining me it's been a treat talking about these films with you listeners thank you for listening we'll see you next time Truth and Movies is a Little Dot Studios production, Little White Lies. It's hosted by me, Michael Leader, produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel, and edited by Steph Watts and James Payne.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.